0: Hello and welcome back to the KI Prime Podcast. My name's Alina Jenkins, and in this episode, we're speaking to Dr. Mahan Kulasegaram. He's a scientist at the Wilson Center and Temerty Faculty of Medicine, where he's the Temerty Chair in Learner Assessment and Program Evaluation. Additionally, he's an associate professor and director of the Office of Education Scholarship in the Department of Family and Community Medicine. And his research examines educational assessment as an opportunity to enhance learning. And- And in particular, how to support the transfer of learning that's required to develop clinical expertise in medicine. Mahan, welcome along. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And so let me just start by by asking about this area of research and how you've ended up where you are.
1: Oh, uh, totally by accident. I started out thinking about how learning happens, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. I started a summer job in a lab, uh, and before I knew it, and I was uh, thinking about doing graduate studies. And eventually, I started thinking about how the stuff that we were doing in learning how to teach people more effectively, designing pe- designing instructions so that learners could see opportunities to use the things they've been taught, which is really the the heart of the work. Like how do you know when you've encountered a problem before, Even when it presents itself in a different, you know, mask or guise or context. You know, we expect education to have an impact on the future. Otherwise, why are we in HP, right? Like what happens in the classroom should impact the clinic. That's, that's mm-hmm. the underlying premise of all this work. Um, and yet we don't often pay explicit attention to it. And then eventually I started realizing that a big part of it was like, we test students a lot. We assess them. We assess them once they're into practice and in Canada and many other places in the world, physicians have to, you know, go through formal assessments sometimes after in practice to get feedback. So how does that impact what they're going to do clinically or what they're going to do uh, in terms of guiding their own learning. And that's where the heart of the work is. And more recently now, through this enterprise, been thinking about we collect massive volumes of data, right? They're just, It's collecting data all the time and it's exponentially growing. And it, it's kind of inert. We don't systematically or in a thorough way look at this data to say, what is it telling us about not just the learners or the people in the system, but the system itself and the institutions and the programs that are doing things to these learners. So how do we unlock the value of that data as a learning opportunity? So that's where my head has been at in the last yeah. few uh, years. Have
0: you yet answered that question then as to how you unlock the data? What, what are you doing with it?
1: Oh, I, I think what we're doing with is trying to bring it together. Uh, so it's kind of like a process of, you know, you know that explosion, you could take three steps forward, two steps back. It is immensely difficult work because as a researcher you're not trained, you're trained to think about how to ask the question, how to do the analysis and interpret it. But a lot of the the headspace around this is still how do you convince people to share data that they've not thought about for research purposes and they've not thought about historically as saying they have a obligation or accountability to share? And and you go down that that path, you start, thinking about issues like, what are the ethical implications of bringing together data? Who's impacted by this? How do learners feel about the fact that we often collect a lot of data on them and we run analyses and make conclusions and these come back to impact them, but they haven't really thought about when they click that consent button or when they give agreement or sometimes they don't even give consent they haven't really thought about what's happening with to them in the future as a was consequence of this, but they've become much more aware because, you know, in the broader world, Amazon and Google, and you hear about all these horror stories of algorithms doing this and that to people. And so we're at the stage where I think medical learners and patients to some degree are now much more active in saying, well, this is, you 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 can't do this to me. You can't shape my future without me giving you permission. And so I think it's a, The work has been to really, uh, with many, you know, many colleagues around the world in Canada, the work has been primarily to figure out how to build structures and principles mm-hmm. to help tr- people trust each other around this process. And I should you know, mention some of my co-conspirators in this work or like Lawrence Grierson from McMaster University and, and many people are, uh, who've been already engaged in this work in other places around the world. who have been sharing their expertise with us as a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a novel or like, you know, fledgling community.
0: Yeah. Do you feel that you've had to step outside of your comfort zone to do this and sort of develop new skills and just go, I need to learn how to do that to
1: make this work? Yeah. I I I wouldn't be the guy normally people would look at, say, oh yeah, he's he's gonna talk about equity issues or talk about, you know, ethical obligations in research. I come from a I think what was a, you know, very traditional way of thinking about science, you think about the question and the next question. Mm-hmm. And the social implications were things that other people kind of did around me. And I kind of understood its importance. But I've had to not that I have any expertise or lay claim to expertise, but I've had to engage with those ideas and try to think about mm-hmm. how we bring those people and their knowledge into the conversation around this. Cause without them, I think it's not going to be possible. For us to do this in a sustainable way, and sustainability, I think, of this enterprise is what we're really after.
0: Mm. So you're, you're I, I guess, you're kind of developing the the building blocks, the basement, yeah. of your palace that you're trying to build here. What are the what are what we be focusing on? Do you think in in the short term?
1: That's a really good analogy. I, I don't know if palace is the is the goal. <laughs> maybe like in thirty years, let's say we'll start with a house. Like we yeah. just want the house built. Maybe even just the framework. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in you know ideal situation for us, and I'll say when I, when I say us, I'm talking about a local community mm-hmm. in Canada, would be a data sharing collaboration or a series of data sharing collaborations that would run something like what the UK has, for example, in the UK Med model. And people who are not familiar with that, you can look up, you can Google UK Med and you can hear about the wonderful, amazing opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's one example of many that are across the world. But I think long term, the goal would be for us to have you know, an institutional culture in, our, in medical education broadly around mm. doing this type of work and maybe even eventually internationally sharing, you know, data in a way that facilitates, you know, research and scholarship that impacts us all. I mean, mm. medical education is very globalized. Mm. So there's no reason why we shouldn't have a globalized medical education data mm-hmm. uh, center.
0: Yeah. Is this this quite a novel
1: idea? Have there been other other researchers in the field doing this? Oh, yeah. yeah. There have been tons of people talking about this and trying to move the needle forward. I, I think, you know, one of the amazing things for us has been Every time we've brought this up to you know people above our pay grade who are in the in the ability to make these decisions or to sort of help move the uh, agenda along, they've all thought it was a wonderful idea. Like, yeah, this is this is something we should be aspiring to everywhere else in the world or every other industry or field is moving towards this as a as a concept. And so it's been wonderful to hear that that synergy. But also, you know, it's it's a enterprise that involves so many moving parts and people. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not as if it's a push of a button to bring data together or to create the system. You have to, you know, engage lawyers. Oh, the dreaded lawyers, right? But they're so mm-hmm. critical to this process and the privacy officers and ethicists and the deans and students and, you know, the people who are impacted by this. But, uh, you know, that that I'll say, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with yeah. many people. And and I think that's the, that's the model. Like we have to go far and we have to bring everyone along with us.
0: Yeah, it, once you've... So I don't know 5 10 years down the line you're collecting data all the time. Yeah. Uh, have you thought about perhaps other implications of what you could do with this? Does it have wider implications?
1: Oh yeah yeah I I think going forward like it's uh like we Like, my predictions would be useless to you. Like, there's no way to tell what this can unlock for us. And I think that's part of the unique insights or the promise of this. Mm -hmm. It's like a laboratory that can model many, many different things you know, for me, like the interest has really been to sort of bring a theoretical orientation to this work. And sometimes it can be like a fishing expedition, which is great. You you can play around in the data, see what it's telling you. Mm. Um, but I come from a model where, you know, like there, we have lots of theories about how people learn, right? The work that mm. I've done for most of my, you know, academic career and many other people have contributed to and we're building on. And so like what happens if we can kind of bring those ideas to this data set and kind of tell us about where we can optimize and where our models might be flawed or where we think there are new, exciting ways to conceptualize um, learning at a fundamental level or at a systems level.
0: Mm. I wanted to ask you how you can, uh, what steps you're doing to make sure that the data is good. The reason I ask that is I come from a weather presenting background where, of course, we're using models and you know, different models have different data, and if the data is poor, the outcomes not right. going to be what's yeah. not going to be so good. So I just wondered how you can kind of keep some quality control, if right. you like, over the data.
1: Yeah, no, that that is a really great question. So I, I think it starts at the source of uh, data collection. So um, you know, I, I often deal with assessment data, and for us, we have models like uh, a val- validity, and for I'm sure many of the listeners will be familiar with that concept—the idea that you know you can make appropriate interpretations and inferences from uh, from a data point. And there's no recipe or magic formula to that, but you think about what the data is intended to do and then you work towards building like an argument around that. So I think we have to sort of at the the forefront or like the front line of how this data gets collected. You know, we up our game, we increase mm-hmm. our standards. Um, and actually, one of the interesting exercises for us, so like I'm involved in a collaboration with many other researchers in, um, in my home province of Ontario and the Medical Council and across uh, all the medical schools. And what they've, what we've discovered is actually some of these quality control issues, like not just like, you know, is this, is this good data really at the point of source, but also is it recorded faithfully and, tra- you know, and kept in a way that's accessible? Are there good identifiers with it that we can do linking? And so when you start doing this, when you start unpacking it, there are a lot of like side benefits, like you, you increase the adherence to best practices, I feel. And so, uh, you know, those are, those are things that we can sort of bring to the table and say, this is why you should think about your data as a an instrument or as a you know as a as a resource that you should be unlocking and using.
0: And what what do you think ultimately is your is your goal with this? What what are you most
1: excited about in the future? Yeah, I think I'm I'm hoping that these data help us understand how we better prepare people for clinical practice and where clinical practice signals give us insights about the unique and interesting opportunities to personalize training for individuals. I think that's always our, Mm -hmm. like the holy grail, I think is to say, you know, there's learning that is tailored to the needs of the student. And we have lots of, you know, resources and abilities to identify what those needs might be. And I'm also excited to think about how this helps us give feedback to our schools and our programs and say, hey, here's an opportunity for us to change or modify assessment or curriculum or faculty development to, you know, meet this goal or meet this outcome that you're uh, working towards. Um, so, it, it, it has a very applied bent to it, I think, but, you know, we, we try to think about how the, you know, our, our scientific perspective can help that approach.
0: I've been asking all of the fellows about their experience with mentorship. It's just such a massive thing in your field. Everybody's so supportive. If you think about
1: some of the mentors that helped you, are there some that spring to mind? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, my supervisor from like like my very, like from my undergrad days, Dr. Jeff Norman, who's a Karolinska winner. I'm sure you've had a wonderful, very funny conversation yes. probably <laughs> with him. Uh, and he's been a very important mentor for me and opened many doors and imparted, I think, a natural skepticism to many, many things. Um, I will say Jeff is actually a skeptic of of this idea too. He's, we've had nice discussions about, um, you know, we've tried this before. It's not working. And like, how do we, you know, how do we get that data together and what, you know, whether it's going to add value. And then my other colleague and, you know, former co-supervisor, former supervisor, Dr. Nikki Woods, who you've also interviewed and is still an important mentor to me in many ways. So, um, they've both sort of helped me understand, you know, how to think about the work in a scientific sense, right? Like what, what it means to be a, a scientist and the many people that, you know, I probably don't have time to mention who've been, Mm. uh, important, uh, uh inspirations, um, notably my mother, who's been a teacher all her life and thought about education from a very, uh, student centered, learner centered perspective, from a, a perspective of like, mm-hmm. this is a social good that you need to keep doing. Like that is something that's important. Mm-hmm. So I think her example has been very critical. My wife is a clinical educator. So she works in a, a ward, uh, where she trains other nurses that so they come on. So I, I see like the practical implications mm-hmm. of the work and how it can um, help help them. Though she uh, she often says, you know, you're very theory oriented, but in practice, this is how this <laughs> works. And I say, you know, there's nothing so practical as a good theory. So it's <laughs> it's wonderful to have a dinner table conversation with her about that.
0: Yeah, and finally, just be- before we go, I just wanted to ask you about your experience of of this fellowship and um, what it means for you being here in Stockholm and perhaps also the potential impacts for your research.
1: Oh, it's been wonderful being here I've enjoyed the I think the, the the best part of this has been being with the other fellows people I wouldn't have had a chance to meet and have great conversations with but also uh, people I knew but I never had a chance to know uh, know in a deeper sense or to understand how they think and how they engage in work or just to catch up with some old friends um, that community has formed I think fairly quickly over a couple of days and uh that's been wonderful to see and I've enjoyed it tremendously and of course we're very very grateful for the generous time that the previous winners, the faculty have, you know, given us and the gift of time to think about our, our, our own work um, as a program or as a, mm-hmm. uh, a systematic way. Uh, and the wonderful hosts like yourself, who have been <laughs> part of the part of the program. It's been it's been great. We've um. enjoyed, uh, enjoyed it. We had great weather, I think we could agree.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been absolutely lovely and a, and a real pleasure to, to speak to you today, Mahan. So thank you for taking the time out of this busy schedule right. to, to come and chat. Uh, Mahan, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with another episode of the KI Prime podcast very soon. For now, Goodbye.